At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 118. Being queer, being trans and non-binary, I need the world to be different. I need actual change to take place in order to like feel safe enough to actually move through certain parts of this growth process. I am so excited to have Abby Robbins back on the podcast today. If you've been listening to Queerology for a period of time, you have heard uh, their episodes with Abby. They are back for the third time today because they have a brand new book. Not only is Abby one of my best and closest friends, they are a certified Enneagram teacher through the Narrative Enneagram and a CIAYT yoga therapist. They're the creator of the Conscious Enneagram website and social media platform, host of the Conscious Construction podcast, and founder of the Queer Enneagram. They've led in-person workshops across the country and at the Enneagram and Coffee Summit, the Shift Network's Enneagram Global Summit, and the International Enneagram Association's Global Conference. Abby lives in Austin, Texas, where they do a lot of work with yoga and the Enneagram. (laughs) I'm thrilled to have Abby back. Their new book, The Conscious Enneagram, How to Move from Typology to Transformation, is, in my mind, like the Enneagram book we've all been waiting for. (laughs) And, and And if you're anything like me... You're maybe tired of the Enneagram at this point. You're maybe like over the Enneagram at this point. Some of y'all might be like the the any what? Like <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, if you don't know what the Enneagram is, I would say move back a few episodes. There's an episode with Abby about querying the Enneagram. There's also an episode with Susan Stabile, who's an Enneagram teacher as well. Those two episodes might be really helpful at kind of getting introduced to, to what this system is. For those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, this is a great episode because Abby is taking the Enneagram from this like personality thing and into the this the space of how do we actually use it as a tool for spiritual growth. And they're much more interested in that how than like, well, what's your number and what does that say about you? So super important stuff. Abby often says it can't change you if you don't know how to use it. And Abby is teaching us how to use it. Before we dive in, I'm sure some of you 
maybe notice that I haven't been around for like the last month, that Queerology hasn't been coming out kind of on a consistent basis. I just wanted to give you a little update as to like what's going on over here in my world. Nothing's wrong. <laughs> but a friend of mine a few weeks ago sent, sent an article from like the New York Times or something saying like, we've all hit a wall. Like, I think that was the title of it. Like, everyone has hit a wall. And and that feels true to my experience. I, like, logged on a morning that I would have done typical queerology stuff and realized, like, I hadn't actually recorded an interview with anyone and I don't have any interviews scheduled. And so that's what's been going on. It's just been pandemic brain. So again, nothing's wrong. And here we are. It's okay to take breaks. And hopefully, I think... I'm back up and running. (laughs) I've got things scheduled. Hopefully we'll be back to a consistent schedule. And maybe not. Who knows? I mean, it's pandemic. It's the pandemic is happening. I'm giving myself a massive amount of grace for whatever happens. So that's that. No announcements today other than stay tuned for like that little, that little, like, I guess what we call in the podcast industry mid-roll ad. Because <laughs> I'm going to be telling you about this queer youth of faith art contest that Beloved Arise is hosting. It's so cool. Even if you're not a youth, if you know queer youth, if you know queer people who are in the right age bracket, let them know about it because there's some fantastic prizes. It's a super cool thing. So keep tuned for that in the middle of the episode. And let's just go ahead and dive in. Abby, hi, welcome. Welcome back. Hi, Matthias. I'm very glad to to be back. Oh, yeah, I'm just thrilled. I mean, anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while will know I love having you on the show. <laughs> I love you. So, like, just, <laughs> this is just the best. So. <laughs> yeah, I was actually wondering, like, has anyone else been on your podcast three times? Am I, am I the first? You're not. Oh, oh. dang it. <laughs> oh. I'm so sorry. I think you're like the third person to be oh, on three d- times. Oh, dang. I'm not even yeah. like in rarefied air anymore. Fine. Whatever. Hey, I, I see but, how it goes. But it's still, it still is like an honor, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. It's it's going to be like like hosting Saturday Night Live. Like you want to get as many options, like opportunities to do it. So don't worry. I'll be, I'll be doing more exciting things in my life so that I can come and talk about them on yeah. Queerology. <laughs> I I look forward to that. (laughs) Well, to start, because these things do shift and change, um, how do you identify and how has your faith helped form that identity? (sighs) This, this question every time, right? Like, I know it's coming, but do I prepare? Yes. (laughs) Do I remember what I prepared when it comes time? No. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think how I identify at this point feels a lot easier. Like, I'm a queer, trans, non-binary person. I live in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm a yoga therapist and Enneagram coach. Uh, I'm a parent. And currently, I'm a fiancé. Hopefully soon, we can actually get married. Our wedding got postponed, which is a bummer. Yeah, and that covers all the important pieces of that. And how my faith has shaped my identity. Man, I feel like in the last several years, my faith has been in a a lot more flux than my identities have. (laughs) Mm. And there's, I feel like everything I say about my faith has to come with an asterisk. I identify as, uh, I guess I would say, a contemplative Christian. A, A lot of times I'll just call myself a contemplative. 
or an embodiment-focused contemplative, because in the the contemplative world, it's real easy to get stuck in your head. Um, but I always hesitate with the Christian thing because uh, that's such a loaded word. Which, I mean, anybody, if you're listening to Queerology, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's like, you're not, you're not stumbling across Queerology and then thinking, what, what on earth are they talking about? Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, I, I think that as I've gotten older, I definitely, I do. I, I, I find the story of Jesus inspiring. But I feel like at this point in my life, I definitely find it inspiring in a way that mainline evangelical Christianity would want to have me stoned. So I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job <laughs> in general. I'm like, okay, that's a that's a point in my favor. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's you know, I I find that story compelling. I also find that story challenging and. You know, I, I'm not super hung up on whether or not the story is, you know, historically accurate or factually true. Like, I, I was just telling you before we started recording that if you have children listening, cover their ears. Because <laughs> my my oldest daughter just this morning found out that Santa isn't real. Which, like, my parents didn't do the Santa thing because we were really religious. And so, like, I don't, I can't, like, I, I can't actually, like, empathize with her on that level, but like I can talk to her about my deconstruction, right? I can talk to her about leaving the church and and questioning my religion and really having it shift my worldview. And I was like, you you got out easy, kid. Um <laughs> but you know, coming back around to the story, I was like, you know, baby, Santa isn't real, but that doesn't mean that there's not still magic. And that's kind of how I sit with, you know, my spiritual and religious leanings is that, you know, I'm not concerned if it's quote unquote real or not. I find magic in it and it's what makes sense. It's the language I know to speak it. You know, I'm not going to force it on anyone else, but I, you know, I'm, I actually feel pretty confident in my spiritual journey, so to speak. I, I really like the way you're talking about that because <laughs> I, and this is like jumping i mean this is jumping ahead so for everyone listening we're gonna jump ahead and then we'll go back and and then introduce what we're talking about but like <laughs> we're talking about your new book today so I'll, I'll give people that we're talking about your new book today which is about the enneagram the conscious enneagram how to move from typology to transformation and and we can get into all of that in in a little bit but but something that it is kind of a really important theme in your book is this idea of lineage and this idea of who are we connected to other than just ourselves and, and can we trace that and, and so on and so forth. And so as you're talking about your spiritual journey here and saying like Christianity is the language that I know, like that word lineage it, like came to mind, like it feels kind of tied into that idea. And, and I'm wondering if if you would agree with that or if you have thoughts about that i mean i totally agree that's definitely like a lineage piece right it's like well and i think you know i always say this now that like the word deconstruction is so like popularized to the point of being disgusting you know i i deconstructed before it was cool you know like it's been 15 years since like i went through that process and 
I was so steeped in it, right? Like it is, it's so deep. But when I deconstructed, right, like so many people, I looked, I looked around for what else was out there. And, you know, you see a lot of people moving to the East. Obviously I did as well. I'm a yoga therapist. Like I, even before I started yoga, I had a lot of interest in like Buddhist teaching and this like Eastern spirituality. I found very, I found it very like rich and very exciting, right? Like it had something that my faith didn't. And so I really dove headfirst into those things. But what I, what I encountered very quickly was that I was missing a lot because I didn't actually speak the language. Like, obviously I didn't speak or write or read Sanskrit, but like culturally I didn't have the cultural understanding or connection that I so clearly had with Christianity. And I feel very lucky. And we'll talk about, as we talk about the book, we'll also talk about community, but I was very lucky that I found a community here in Austin that reinfused the faith of my childhood with this kind of Eastern approach that was missing, right? The contemplative aspect, the mystical aspect of Christianity that had been amputated from the faith of my childhood. And this community really brought those things together. And, and it, it helped me to realize that like where I started to feel stuck or lost or, you know, at best and like at worst, completely misinterpreting the stories and the myths of other cultures, they helped me realize that like what I was getting from those, I could actually find even more so even deeper in, in my own culture right, in my own language. And that's when I realized that, like, I could actually go so much deeper. Like, I stalled out diving into these Eastern religions because I don't have the cultural competency. You know, there's so many things I don't get just kind of off the bat because I haven't been living in it. But, like, I know the stories of Jesus. I know the stories of the Bible so deeply. I mean, they are, quote-unquote, inscribed upon my heart, <laughs> but it's tr- right? I mean, it's true though. <laughs> right? Like you, you deconstruct all you want. You're not going to get rid of that. Right? Like, and, you know, I found a community that really allowed me to see the faith of my childhood in a completely new way. Right? And actually, I could actually go deeper because I had this cultural competency. I had this depth of knowledge and understanding that was now, uh, you know, some, it's like somebody pulled pulled back the veil. Oh, my God. All of these fucking phrases are coming right back. Um, <laughs> right? And suddenly I could see something that I, I that had always been there, but I was trained not to look at. And so, yeah, you know, like, it, like Christianity is the language I speak. And, you know, for better or for worse, this is the space that I can find a lot of meaning and depth in conceptualizing my spirituality. I love that. Like, there's something that feels really deeply grounding in the way you talk about it, of of like, you deconstructed. (laughs) Like, I I mean, I was, I witnessed some of that. Like, I know, (laughs) like, you fully deconstructed to the point where you were like, I want nothing to do with Christianity. And I mean, I, I love the ways... And, and I mean, this is not to say that like other people's deconstructions may not look different from yours. Like, so people listening don't hear this as prescriptive, but I love the ways that you have kind of in some ways like walked yourself back 
into like this is this is part of me but how do i make it actually mine yeah and you know i will say like there are no shortcuts in this and i'm a very big proponent of throwing the baby out with the bathwater like i know that's a it's one of those idioms that's being thrown around a lot in the deconstruction world like oh don't don't throw the baby out with the bathwater <laughs> like i was having a conversation with somebody on twitter and i was like babies are actually incredibly resilient you know what you could probably throw it out and it'd be fine metaphorical babies are basically invincible throw the baby out and if you decide you want it later it'll still be there but yeah you know it it was a process and I definitely ended up someplace that I never expected. And to be quite honest, a place that I fought for a real long time. I didn't actually want to be here. It's actually much easier to be like, I'm not a Christian, fuck this. But like, that's not, that's not true for me anymore. Of course, you know, <laughs> some people would look at my life and they would be like, oh no, it's still true. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm fine with that. Like, I don't care. But because what a what being a Christian means to me is is wildly different than it was, you know, 20 years ago. So tell me about your book, The Conscious Enneagram. Yeah, there's this thing called the Enneagram. And I wrote a book about it. But it's not, it's actually not really about the Enneagram. I mean, it's really not. It's more about a spiritual journey or, or a personal journey if spirit is not something that like jives with you. It's not language that works for you. It, it's essentially like, you know, I found the Enneagram. You introduced me to the Enneagram. And I'll, although we always argue about how that went down, the and fact is you did. We're not going to do that again here. We're not going to do that here. I'm just, you know, I'm putting a pin in it. I'm acknowledging the elephant in the room and we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> right. So you introduced me to the Enneagram and really it, it was something that like took root pretty deeply for me. And it has been one of the main tools that has really altered my life in, in a deeply positive way. So, Abby, for someone who doesn't even know what the Enneagram is, I mean, you can't talk about it that briefly. <laughs> the Enneagram is hard to talk I'll about be briefly. As brief as I can. But, like, how do you understand it? Mm, how do I understand it? Oh, that's a good question. I like that question better than, like, what is it? I understand the Enneagram as, as a symbol of how energy becomes manifest in the universe, which I know sounds like a a lot of crazy mumbo jumbo, but let me, you know, tie a bow on this. And the points around the Enneagram, right, around this symbol, this nine-pointed star, correspond with certain steps in any process that could literally be applied to anything. It just so happens you can also apply it to the human personality. So then there's been this whole kind of development of what we call the Enneagram of personality, which is at its most basic, most flat kind of understanding it is a personality typing system that actually looks deeper than just our actions and i guess sheds a light on our motivations why are we doing what we do and from there because we're looking deeper than just the action we can start to see we can start to see the things um that maybe we're doing that don't work and we can shift and change you know ideally like the enneagram shows us where we are going to screw up and shows us what we could be doing instead how we could be living how we could be experiencing life 
outside of these habitual unconscious patterned behaviors. And so that's kind of the, right, like I'm coming at it from this more mystical perspective, you know, kind of understanding a little bit more of the depth behind the symbol itself. And, you know, I find myself squarely, you know, I'm an any, I called myself an Enneagram coach. Like I'm somebody who works with people to help unravel these, you know, unconscious, habitual patterned behaviors. And so I definitely, I work more with the Enneagram of personality in that respect. And I ended up writing a book about it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, which I still like, it's one of those things I'm like, did that really happen? Like, am I going to wake up from a coma and be like, oh, it was all a dream. <laughs> um, but but what I was really writing about, right, was this personal and spiritual journey that the Enneagram invites us into, right? Because it's not just about like knowing your type and that's all. Like it's, that's that's like hardly even the first step um, is to understand your type because then it's like, okay, well, you know, if that was just it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but it's actually, oh, it's maybe confronting us with the truth that there's more than what we've been experiencing and can be a guidebook of, of how how to get there. And that's really what I was trying to write in this book. I talk about a lot in the beginning of the book that like when I found the Enneagram, it was deeply powerful in my life. It's been one of the most useful tools that I've I've found in this, you know, in this work. But I met a lot of people who like knew about the Enneagram, right? And like their lives weren't changed by it. And I was like, well, why me? What's different about my situation? Because if some people know the Enneagram and they're like, oh, whatever, and their lives haven't changed, but mine has, then like, what what else is at play here? And I spent a lot of time kind of thinking about that and the things that really contributed to my growth and my development. And, you know, the Enneagram was obviously a big part of that. But what I found is there were these kind of key, what I call legs of a stool, right, to basically create the circumstances in which you could grow. And those three legs, you know, for the three-legged stool, right, are, are practice, lineage, and community. And we've kind of touched a little bit on lineage and community, kind of alluded to them. But what I found is that, like, as I, even talking to people who had experienced, you know, really immense personal and spiritual growth without using the Enneagram, these things were still present. Like everyone that I talked to, everyone that I had worked with, you know, if they had experienced some like, and I, and I don't just mean like, oh, I had a powerful experience at summer camp kind of spiritual change. I'm talking about real deep, tangible, meaningful, lasting kind of change in their lives. And these things were in place. You know, they had a practice. And this is kind of where I start and where I kind of take the jumping off point. It's like they had a place where they could try new things, right? They had a practice that allowed them to quiet themselves, that allowed them to increase their capacity to hold their experience. Pra- practices like yoga, meditation, breath work, right? These are the things we're talking about that help you to you know, have some space in your life as well as practicing things, right? Like a place to practice new behaviors, 
You know, you can't be good at anything new without practicing. Then, you know, when the Enneagram comes into play, you start to wonder, well, what should I be practicing? You know, if I'm such and such type or whatever, it's like you need somebody who can tell you like, hey, maybe this is a problem. This is where that idea of lineage comes into play with like having a teacher, you know, being in a relationship with someone who you have like given the okay to call you on your shit. You know, that's a really powerful relationship. That's somebody who can really help to direct you and so often like save you from yourself, right? Like help you avoid the pitfalls that anybody would fall in if they didn't have someone kind of looking out for them, you know, who's up the road a little ways, who's been, who's more experienced, who've been involved, but also a teacher like connects us to that sense of lineage, right? Like a teacher connects us to this flow of understanding that we can't get on our own. You know, I have a, I have a phone. I'm talking on a computer right now. I literally have access to all of the world's information. If there's literally anything I want to know, I can Google it. But there are things about how we live our lives that you can't Google. I am so excited to tell you about this art contest. You've heard me talk about Beloved Arise before on Queerology. It's a nonprofit dedicated to celebrating and empowering queer and trans youth of faith. And this art contest is a multi-faith project highlighting queer youth from all religious backgrounds. So if you're between the ages of 14 and 22, or if you know someone between the ages of 14 and 22, this contest is for you or for you to tell people about. So here's the prompt. Create a piece of art that shows your perspective on what it means to be loved. Isn't that beautiful? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So all of the details can be found over at belovedarise.org slash contest. And the contest ends on May 9th, so you're going to want to get your entries in soon. That's belovedarise.org slash contest. Uh, The top 20 entries are going to be published in a beautiful book. And there are prizes ranging from $250 to $750. I cannot wait to see what comes out of this and hope that some of you will enter. Again, that's belovedarise.org slash contest. It's so interesting, Abby, that I mean that you're you're talking about this because so often I feel like I hear people say things and I, i've said this myself <laughs> that sense <laughs> of like, like oh wait this is me <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but also people i work with like like this idea that we should be able to do it by ourselves like that there's something wrong with us because that we can't or that we feel like we need to go to someone or that like I mean, that that we can be these self-contained beings who can do everything ourselves and that the places where we can't do it ourselves, there's something wrong with us. And and I think you're getting at that point of like, no, it's actually like the opposite of that. Like we, <laughs> we need other people and like that's hardwired into us. Yeah. I mean, the idea that we can do everything on our own is just, it's laughable, right? Like, do you know how to build furniture? I mean, theoretically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever built a chair, Matthias? 
With my dad, I have. Could I do it again? No. Okay. All right. Well, you're still proving my point because your dad helped you, right? Like, right. And I feel like normally that analogy does not fall as flat as that one just did because most people don't know how to build furniture, but they're often sitting on a chair when I ask them this question. <laughs> we are so deeply dependent on other people. Like, do you know how to build a computer? Like, can you solder a microchip? onto a motherboard and put it right like i can't and i'm i'm decent with a soldering iron but i'm not gonna mess around with that noise like oh my god this idea that we have to do it all on our own is just like the evidence against it is literally everywhere you turn like do you know how to spin cotton into thread into a shirt into the clothing that you're wearing like i don't oh my god like so we do. We need other people. And that's why, you know, the three legs, like, really, like, they come into play so well because it, it they speak to that need and they speak to, I mean, also our need for individuation, right? Like, we have gone wildly too far in this, like, you know, I'm going to do it on my own, pull myself up from my bootstraps mentality, right? But, you know, being an individual is important. We bring more value to the table when we are fully individuated and are, you know, fully developed human who has their own boundaries and their own, right, like all of these things, you know, and a practice really helps us to do that. Like that is very self-motivated and like you actually hear a lot more about it. When I do interviews like this, when I talk to people, they get practice pretty quick, right? They're like, yeah, I do that myself, but I really have to sell people on the idea of having a teacher, right? I have to really, really sell people on the idea of being a part of a community. Like generally speaking, like people like get practice now, whether they do it or not, I don't know, but like at least they will intellectually assent to the fact that like having a practice is important. People get really stuck on having a teacher and being a part of a community. And it's like your practice is gonna be, first of all, if you don't have a teacher, if you don't have somebody who can kind of help you point out what you need to practice, your practice is going to get you running in circles. You know, you're just going to you're going to spin yourself out because you don't have enough direction. You don't have enough insight and teachers help you gain that insight. You don't have enough grounding. Your lineage helps to ground you in the here and now. And then, you know, past that, if you were just to have a teacher and a practice, we know kind of instinctually, culturally, the downfalls of having a teacher, right? Like you surrender all of your autonomy and you give everything up to you know some sort of like all-knowing teacher who then brainwashes you, right? Like this is what we're all afraid of. Like I'm not brainwashed. I'm not going to do that. But that's why you need to be in a community, right? It allows you another kind of check on having a teacher, but it also allows you to engage in a different kind of relationship. You know, teacher relationships are hierarchical, right? Like even a therapist relationship is hierarchical. Like somebody is here to help you. It's not a reciprocal relationship, right? And those relationships are port important, right? Especially in learning how to set boundaries and, right? Like having somebody who's so often, you know, I go to my teacher and I just sort of throw my stuff out there and I'm like, blah, and she'll help me organize. But like, she's not, she's not telling me about her life, you know, unless it's like, in a very small way and very applicable and resonant to what I'm going through. But then 
we still have to learn how to be in relationship with each other. And we do that by being in relationship with each other in community in a reciprocal relationship. Yeah, we can't do this alone. We can't do anything alone, let alone a spiritual journey. Like, oh my God. And I feel like, I mean, just, <laughs> just even in this conversation so far, we haven't even talked about the numbers, right? Like, and, and I think like that is such a key difference from the way that I see you approaching the Enneagram than from what I see a lot of things out there. And of course, the numbers are important. Like, <laughs> like there's so many good books out there, but I have yet to see an Enneagram book like yours of where, I mean, of course you talk about the numbers, but it's not like type one, do this, type two, do this. Like your book is like, here's a practice. Here's how you find a teacher. Here's how you get into community and, and really weaving all these things together to create the soil for growth. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's really what I wanted to get at, right? Because there are hundreds of books about the Enneagram. There are like new podcasts every fucking week popping up talking about the types. And I mean, to be frank, I'm bored of talking about the types. I feel like most people are at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because like, because the knowing your type is really just the start. Like it's, it's just the start. It's not, it's not where things are happening. It's not where the growth is taking place. Like, yeah, I do believe you need to be accurately typed. Like if you're mistyped, that's, you know, I don't think that that's necessarily a detriment, but you need to be accurately typed and you need to understand what you're talking about when you talk about your type but like talking about your type or even just knowing the type or knowing the patterns is still like it's reading the it's like memorizing the playbook, but never getting in the game. And I'm an eight. And so I use a lot of sports and military like analogies. So I apologize for people who don't get that. <laughs> I've been called out on that several times, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm just talking. And, and these are the ones that come up. I'm sorry. <laughs> It doesn't matter if you're not trying to do something with it. And like, that's what I'm interested in. Like, what are you going to do with this? How are you going to grow with this? How is this making your life better? Right? I mean, that was a huge part of the conversation with my daughter this morning. Because, of course, we talk about Santa and we talk about religion. And I was like, I, I believe the right religion is the one that makes you a better person. Right. So if you're going to use the if you're going to say that the Enneagram is some great, powerful tool, like, is it making you a better person? If not, I don't really care, because if it's not actively making you a better person, it's probably making you a shittier one. <laughs> like, I don't know how many people I've met that are like, oh, yeah, I know that blah, blah, blah. So and so does this, this and this. And there's such a blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I like, I don't give a fuck what you're talking about right now. Like. You might know what the Enneagram is, but you're not engaged with it in a real or meaningful way. And like, that's what I'm concerned about. And that's that's why I wrote what I wrote in this book is to help give people an easy, an easier entry point into the real work that the Enneagram is inviting us into. Which is not easy work. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Because it goes from being this like, oh, 
here's my number. Like, look at all these things this tool knows about me. Like, it hits hard. It sometimes hurts. Like, but it's like that kind of like, oh, you just read me for filth. Like, it goes from that to like, oh, fuck. You mean I have to do something? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think that's the difference between like so many people use the Enneagram to read themselves and other people for filth. But the Enneagram does that and does it very well. And it's like secretly whispering, like, it doesn't have to be this way, which I think is maybe the most challenging part of it. Like, that is why it hits so hard is because it's saying you don't have to do this. This isn't your only option. Right. Like, I think that's where the power is in the Enneagram. I almost think about it as kind of, as like a roadmap <laughs> for like, here's what growth looks like for you. Here's what. What's the opposite of growth? <laughs> Death? <laughs> stagnation. Stagnation looks like for you. But the, you, then you have to get into the work. Like, I mean, I think of it like, I mean, it's not it's not therapy, but it's so similar to that kind of therapeutic journey. Like, I mean, even the way you're talking about it, of, of having a guide, having a teacher, having community, like all of those things are, are at least in my mind, at least in a therapeutic relationship, like are required if growth is going to happen. And and you're saying like, yeah, and that the same is true about the Enneagram. <laughs> yeah. And it's because it's, it is asking you to grow. It is asking you to take responsibility for your shit. It is asking you to think about things in a new way. It's asking you to shift your perspective. It's asking you to let go. and. All of those things are really hard work that we can't do on our own. And, you know, because it's the hard work, it's the stuff that doesn't often get talked about when we talk about the Enneagram. Like everybody knows that like, oh, yeah, the Enneagram shows you what you're like when you're on quote unquote unhealthy or quote unquote healthy and you want to move more towards healthy in this very like, uh, I mean, almost childish sort of way, but like, who's actually doing that, right? And like, for those who have a desire to do it, but don't know where to start, why have we as an Enneagram community left them hanging for 30 plus years since the first books came out? Like, okay, I get it. Like, introduce the system, learn about the types. Okay, like, but 30 years, really? Like, it took this long (laughs) to have this kind of book come out? Like, I don't know. I think it also goes a lot into like spiritual, like elitism. Like I'm, I'm super not into that. Anybody can do this work. And that's what I want to see is anybody and everybody doing this work, like staying engaged, having a practice, deepening your connection to your own lineage, whatever it may be, and being, being a part of a community and not just a small kind of personal community, but being willing to show up in the the greater community of the world in a new and different way. You're saying like, I mean, it's taking so long for a book like this to show up. I, I'm also wondering, Abby, if like your queerness plays into the way you think about this and the way you work with the Enneagram and even your approach. I mean, do you think that has anything to do with it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it has to. Right? Like, I don't know. So much of uh, fucking Matthias making me, like, cry and think about these things on a deeper level. I mean, when you live on the margins, you see things differently. 
And I, I can acknowledge all of the ways that my viewpoint is still centralized, being white, being able-bodied, I mean, being Christian even, and many others, and being queer, being trans, being non-binary. There are a lot of things that you do see differently. And like the capacity to self-observe, right, for, for queer people, for people living on the margins is, is, is a necessity. It is a life-saving measure so often. I wish that weren't the case, but it is. And so, you know, I do think that I'm coming at this from a very different perspective. And I think also very much because of my queerness, like, I need the world to be different than it is right now. And like, then, you know, having kids, being, being, getting ready to get married, I need the world to be different. Having kids, I need the world to be different because I don't want them to have the same world that I was handed. Being queer, being trans and non-binary, I need the world to be different. I need actual change to take place in order to like feel safe enough to actually move through certain parts of this growth process, right? Like you can't grow and develop if you aren't safe. And there are so many people in this world who aren't safe, who can't engage in this kind of work. And I need that to be different. So I need people to engage with this tool differently because I feel like this tool has the potential to really make the world different. But it doesn't do that unless people really learn how to use it. And so that's what I'm writing about. How do we do this? How do we put this into action in our lives? So that, yeah, so that our lives are changed, our relationships are improved, and so that the world becomes a less shitty place to live in for everyone. So I do think my queerness, I mean, plays into it probably a lot more than I can understand or articulate as well. I think what I'm hearing and have read in your work is, I mean, I, I, I wonder, I'm just going to spitball here. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if some of the draw to the Enneagram is like, I mean, at least my draw to the Enneagram was this, was this idea of like, this, this thing is telling me everything I need to know about myself. And like, how does it know this? And like that sense of like, I can get all of this information so quickly <laughs> And then feel like something is changing, something is happening. That is so different from what you're proposing. Like, I mean, they go together, <laughs> but you're saying like, well, there's more steps than that. And and I'm wondering if some of the appeal of the Enneagram is like, it is like this step-by-step -step thing of like, here's what you need to do to fix yourself. Now go do it. But that's like the basics. <laughs> yeah, it's like... <sighs> I mean, I hear what you're saying with this, like the draw being because it's so it is so deep and it's so like you like th there's a certain amount of buy in like right off the bat because you I mean, you do get read for filth. Right? right. Like and you see all these things so quickly, you know, I think that's part of the like draw of it. But the the actual work takes so much longer. Right. Like it's one thing to read all your shit in a book. And then, like, close that book and put it away. It's a very different thing to see all of those things play out in real time and, like, wrestle with them as they're happening. Like, that is different. Like, to, 
it's one thing to read it and like, yeah, you might feel like it's a punch in the gut or, you know, however you want to describe that. But like the just deeply like earth shattering experience of like watching it happen in real time, being able to know what it is, acknowledge it, own it, right? Like work with it in the moment. Like that is, I mean, it's both more painful and more life-giving. And it's not this like, here are the three steps. (laughs) If you do these three steps, you'll be a better person. (laughs) And it is like that in some ways too. But it's like, (laughs) I mean, I'm hearing you say like, (laughs) you actually have to get into it. And it's so much more multifaceted than just that. Yeah. I mean, I think so many people like the Enneagram because it's very there are nine different types and they each do this one thing and this one does this thing. It's very compartmentalized for the most part. It's very, it's very neat. It's very tidy. It's beautiful when you look at it and the way things move and you understand more of the system. But then when you get it into your life, it's like, it's this beautiful thing that invites you just into a giant mess. And I think more people just need help navigating the mess. So Abby, if, people wanted help navigating that mess i mean of course buying your book (laughs) (laughs) yeah buy the book but like i say in the book books aren't it you know i do i do work with people one-on-one i actually run a community now as well um i do a yearly online cohort but you can find all of that information at consciousenneagram.com Yeah, I work with people one-on-one. That's kind of the majority of my work. And that's really, you know, for a long time, I was like trying to create a lot of content and post on Instagram and make YouTube videos and all that sort of thing. And I've really, really kind of slowed down on that because, again, I don't care. Like, (laughs) it's not like those things are not, they're not where the transformation takes place. And my time is better spent walking people through that. So that's the majority of my work is I work one-on-one with clients, helping them to develop practices, right? Like that's a big part of my work as a yoga therapist. And then helping people see what's coming up to hold it more compassionately and and to actually work through these issues that the Enneagram like writes about so well. Like, okay, well, I'm here to help you actually like take these steps you know, like I mentioned, I, I do run a community. It's a closed community, um, but they'll, it'll start up. There's been talk of maybe starting a mid-year one that would start in July, but that's not, that's not guaranteed just yet. But, you know, follow me on all the things and I'll let you know if that's going to happen. If not, it'll definitely happen starting in January. But yeah, you know, I'm really trying to like, yeah, I wrote this book and I think that it's important information and my hope is that it gets farther than like I could possibly get on my own. And then hopefully it bring, it, it helps filter some people back to me who are ready to do this work. And then we can, you know, we can do it on a more kind of personal boots on the ground sort of way. And like you're queer, you're trans, you're non-binary. Like, I mean, that cannot be understated in a community that is, I mean, fairly straight. oh my god yeah the enneagram community is just it's a bunch of old straight white people um (laughs) and a lot of these old straight white people i love very dearly and 
there are a lot of things that need to change in the community. And there's a lot of problematic things happening in the community because it's mostly straight and white and cisgendered and old. And it's cool to to see those things actually starting to shift kind of in real time. You know, there are some some of those old straight white people are are really doing the work to, you know, lift up voices who are on the margins. And it's cool. It's cool to see. But I'm I'm glad that I get to be one of the people kind of on the fringe who, you know, focused on let's get this real work done. Yeah. Well, so good. Well, thank you so much, Abby. It's always a treat to chat with you. Thank you, Matthias. Thank you. I miss you. I hope that we can hang out in real life soon. Me too. Maybe so. Yeah. Be sure to go pick up a copy of Abby's book, The Conscious Enneagram, How to Move from Typology to Transformation. You can find them online at ConsciousEnneagram.com and on Instagram at Conscious Enneagram. Also, their podcast, Conscious Construction, is amazing, so go listen to that as well if, if you want more Abby in your life. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at QueerologyPod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. If you want to help keep Queerology on the air by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. And until next time, y'all. Bye. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.